Let's turn in God's Word to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We're reading, we are reading this evening verses 8 through 17. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. And let's uh, first pray to our God. Father, again we come asking for Your help, for we cannot even hear with our physical ears Your Word. Just as we cannot have our blood to move through our arteries and veins and all these things that work in our bodies without You sovereignly working every moment of our lives. And so it is with Your Word. And we cannot have it come into our ears without You opening our ears to hear and uh, opening our hearts, working by Your Spirit and by Your grace and our wills and our mind and our affections to transform us to believe on Christ, but also to continue believing and to be sanctified and cleansed of all our sin. And so do your great work that you would teach us to love Jehovah. To teach us to love our God, the God of the Scriptures, the God of love, and the God of judgment. And in this, Father, we know it's difficult. And so, Father, pour out your grace and your Spirit all the more and soften our hearts. We pray that you would also work by your Spirit through your messenger, the preacher, we ask that you would humble him and you would grant uh, that we would not hear his words, but your words alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8. These are God's words. The Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and join his enemies together, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush, and one day the ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed." Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is an hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Those are God's words and difficult words to hear. 
For He speaks to His people, His covenant people here. If you remember where we are, since it has been some time in speaking of the context of chapter 9 and Isaiah, that the Lord is about has been speaking about, and specifically been speaking to primarily Judah recently in Isaiah here, that as uh, He is going to bring ruin upon the northern kingdom of Israel, speaking mostly recently to the southern kingdom of Judah, He has given hope for Judah, that if they would trust in Him, they would trust in Emmanuel chapter 7, God with us, who will be born of a virgin, that He would come in chapter 9, as we read, uh, as a king, and the government upon His shoulders, wonderful, right? Counselor, mighty God, all these things. That He would be to His people. That peace is found in Him. If they would trust in Him, if they would trust in the God, of Israel and Judah. But Judah had gone off and trusted Assyria as Israel and Syria wanted to make league with or covenant with Judah against Assyria. Judah didn't want to do that. And Israel and Syria together then coming against Judah to battle against Judah as Judah didn't go to Jehovah, but they went to Assyria. And they trusted in Assyria's might and power instead of the Lord of hosts. And the Lord promised that He would deliver them from Israel and Syria. But then He would bring judgment upon them. And He would do that through Assyria. We're going to learn that and hear about a little bit more about that this evening. But here, now He's addressing, seems like He's changing or transitioning here to addressing the northern kingdom of Israel again and their sin. And we see that as Christ has been prophesied here, the Messiah to come prophesied here in the early part of chapter 9, when He comes, He'll bring light to the darkness centuries from this point in Isaiah. Christ, the God-man, is the hope of fallen Israel. And look at verse 13 in our passage. It says, For the people turneth not unto Him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. That's a great definition of Israel, the northern kingdom at this time. And yet it's the opposite of what should be true. They should be turning unto Him and they should be seeking unto Him even though the judgments are coming, even though they have come. We come back to a declaration in our passage of this ruin of the northern kingdom of Israel of which Samaria, verse 9, is its capital. Remember, you have uh, kids, the southern kingdom of Judah and the divided kingdom since Rehoboam and the northern kingdom of Israel, and here the declaration of their ruin. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel uh, rebelled against the southern kingdom, and Jehovah rebelled against Him. They instituted false worship, false altars, etc. They continued and continued. King after king was wicked and evil in the sight of the Lord. They continued in wickedness. 
after their father, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, after Ahab and Jezebel. It's really a huge mess. And all due to sin and pride and lack of faith in Jehovah. And so the judgments are coming, the promised judgments are coming here, being spoken of. And the first point, we see what they were doing besides what the bigger picture is, idolatry and all the abominations going to the foreign nations. Right, They're making a covenant. Israel, the northern kingdom, is making a covenant with Syria to go against Assyria when they should have been making a covenant and keeping the covenant with God. Right? And knowing that He would protect them. But they weren't doing that. They were trusting themselves. That's the first point this evening. Trusting ourselves. Trusting ourselves. When the judgments of God begin, what an exceedingly wicked thing for the covenant people of God to say something like, we can handle this ourselves. We can do this ourselves. And that's what they're doing in this passage to say that we have the answers. Not turning to the Lord who has all the answers. And He tells them to turn unto Him. Turn unto Him. Seek Me. Seek Me. He does it over and over and over. And yet we keep turning, as Israel, keep turning to themselves. In the church, as a congregation, whatever. If it's a nation or a congregation or us as individuals, if we're saying this, if we're saying we got this, we can handle this, well, that's, that's the big issue here. Verse 8, it says, The Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it had lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim, Right, that's one of the ten kingdom or ten tribes of Israel, and the inhabitant of Samaria that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, the bricks are falling down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Right, the Lord is going to bring Assyria against Israel, the northern kingdom, even as He promised to Judah, as we've heard before in this. Uh, prophecy from Isaiah. He sends an effective word. Verse 8, The Lord sent a word into Jacob and had lighted upon Israel. He sent an effective word. He sent word and because it comes from Jehovah and His power and His His authority, the message of that word falls upon Israel. And it comes then on sure accomplishment. As the Word comes from Jehovah, that means it will happen. It is sure to be accomplished. We are assured that it will happen. When the Lord threatens us, we should tremble at His Word. Why? Because the God who threatens, who promises it, can perform it and will perform it if we don't turn to Him. And so this word of judgment is a word falling upon Israel that the weight of divine anger declared in that word shall surely fall unless they repent. Unless they turn and they trust on the Lord to be merciful. He speaks the word and it's done. 
It is sure. But the response of verse 9, think of that, the response. Here's the word of the Lord. It comes, as we heard this morning, it comes with great mercy and compassion that He calls us to Himself. But here we see the response, verse 9. All the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. How much, friends, if we would consider it is that our nation, much of the church today, sadly, what are they saying? Yes, all right, some of the brick houses have been broken down, verse 10. They've been broken down, but we can handle this, we'll replace them. We can just replace them with hewn stones, better homes. We'll replace them with these things. If God judges, so what? We'll replace them. Right? The hurricanes, the tornadoes come out of God's judgments, right? We'll rebuild. That's the main positive message you hear when the leaders are being interviewed on the news or whatever. We'll stand strong. We stand strong together. We'll rebuild better homes. Sycamore trees are cut down. You think of the great storms that come through, whether hurricanes, tornadoes, more so here where we're at. That's okay. We can replant trees. Right? We'll replace them with the cedars that are greater trees. We can handle this. It doesn't matter. We can cope with this. We have the answers. We know what to do. And we will not be defeated by these things. We're a strong people, Americans. And so consider that response that comes from this nation all the time. When Je- Jehovah manifests His judgments upon us. When He displays His power and His anger. What's the response? Uh, the kids won't get this, but the older adults... Well, I think it was in the 90s. might be a little off on that. When I was growing up, when I was a kid, there was AIDS, right? AIDS became popular. What was the response to that? From my recollection, it was not, we must repent of our heinous sins of, and perversities of homosexuality, all these sins. No, it wasn't that. The response was, we can do this. We, we just need to have safe sex. You remember 9-11, terrorist attack upon our nation. Was, was there a bowing and there a humbling before Jehovah? Was there any thought that we may have acted wickedly toward our God? Was there an exaltation in our God in comparison to the Muslim or Islamic God? No. Especially considering how much Uh, The Lord blessed this nation with so much gospel preaching in the first 200 years leading up to that time. There was nothing like repentance. There was nothing like turning to God and faith. Many tears, yes. The sadness of the people dying, surely, yes. People came together for a time, right? Saying what? We can do this. What was the answer? We need better security. 
We need a Department of Homeland Security. We need better security at airports. And oh yes, we need to go to war. We need to go to war. But where was the seeking of the face of Jehovah? Where was that? The response was, we got this, we can handle it. Well, how wicked that response is. That's what the Israel's doing here. Saying, we can rebuild. We, we have rebuilt, right? From that thing that happened then. Everything that happens, all that is needed is, man says, we just need the right policy. When in the church, some atrocious thing happens. Uh, in our denomination, something bad happens. Well, we just need more somebody to write something to change our directory of church government. Or we need to change the Constitution. That's not it. Where's the policy for uh, calling for a day of fasting? We didn't ever hear that. A nation humbling themselves before the God of all creation due to their own wickedness. When will our nation and the church lead in this way and say there is no human answer? There is no human solution. No, it's always we have the answer. We know what to do. We just have to get together. We just have to rebuild. There's a shooting at a school. We know the answer. We know what to do, even though we have a multitude of various answers. We need to do away with the gun-free zones, right? We need to get rid of guns, right? No, where's the answer of, we don't have the answer, the Lord does. It's found in His Word. It's the Gospel. It's seek after Me. We must bow before Him. Verse 9, why does Israel respond this way? Why does our nation... The church respond the way it does before the judgments of God. Verse 9, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart. They're prideful. Church is prideful. Nation is prideful. But the Lord makes plain. He says in the same verse, and all the people shall know. What shall they know? You look at verse 11. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him. And join his enemies together, the Syrians before, the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Rezin is the king of Syria. right? Israel and Syria are uh, allies against Judah and against Assyria. And Rezin was the king of Syria and supposed to be the ally of Israel, but Rezin would be killed. In in God's promise to Judah, he would be put to death. We looked at that before, 2 Kings 16. It says, And the king of Assyria hearkened unto unto him. For the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Ker and slew Rezin. So in our passage, verse 12, the Syrians before, the Philistines behind. After Rezin, king of Syria, dies, friends, it shows here that the Syrians, who were their allies, Israel's allies, along with the Philistines, they turned against Israel. You see, what happens when we don't turn to the Lord, instead we rely upon ourselves, 
Our nation relies upon itself. The church relies upon itself. Your family relies upon itself. We learn that Israel will have enemies all around them. Judah trusted in Assyria. So what happened? Assyria came and they attacked. Just like we saw Syria and Israel. But what happened after that? Assyria went after Judah. Israel, Judah, the same. Israel would learn by painful experience. But not learn as to repent of their sins. They would learn, but they would not learn unto the repenting of their sins. The same for us. We learn the pain, the suffering of trusting ourselves over and over and over again. But we don't learn to the point of repentance unto life. We can learn the truth. The children, right? The children can learn truth all day in their catechism, right? They're memorizing the catechism. They can learn truth all day, but with no application to their hearts. No faith. And so Israel, our nation, the church, can learn truth, know the truth, and still not act upon it, not act in accordance with what should be produced out of their hearts. And so the Lord would perform His Word against them, and even then He's not finished. End of verse 12, For all this His anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still. So what can we as an unrepentant, wicked, gospel-despising nation expect if we will not learn as to humble ourselves before God and repent? We can expect to be taught the hard way that Jehovah is God. And same for the church. We will come to know, we'll be taught the hard way that Jehovah is God. And that His bride will not be led to false teaching and and perversities and, and these things. Trusting ourselves. The second point, turning and seeking Jehovah. Turning and seeking Jehovah. Verse 13, it says, For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Remember, that the opposite of that verse should be what's happening. There should be, because God is bringing His judgments down. We see the judgments we should be. Contemplate, what have we done against our God? And turn to Him and seek His face. Seek His mercy. But the God whose providence was behind all of Israel's troubles is the God of salvation. That's the great majesty here in this great uh, and terrible truth that God is the God of judgment. That right there. Is the God of salvation. The God who loves those who love Him and seek His face. That's always the truth to all people. That's always the truth for you. There's only hope found. The only hope is found when we seek after Him. And yes, He shows great long-suffering to God's covenant people. And He doesn't pour out all of His wrath on the world. He doesn't immediately deal with men as their sins deserve. Praise the Lord for that. And yet, 
His displeasure is evident. The very ground is cursed for man's sake. He has cursed man, made them liable all the miseries of this life to death itself. He sends miseries, He sends afflictions and sorrows and diseases and death. Jehovah does these things. Jehovah does this as the God of judgment because so many are sinning against Him. He sends these things. But what is the response oftentimes? Unless His grace is poured out. Chapter 8, verse 21. And they shall pass through it, hardly bestead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. They're hungry. Judgment has come because of their sins. Famine has come into the land. They're hungry. And so what do they do? They curse God. Revelation 16. So we don't think that this is just the Old Testament God. Revelation 16. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. What was the purpose of the pains and their sores? That they would turn unto him. What a mercy at times on this earth at least to receive God's judgment. That we would be turned to Him and repent of our deeds. But they continued like Israel, promised here, blaspheme the God of heaven. So when men are afflicted and they feel the displeasure of God against them, their response is often to rage against the God of heaven, Jehovah. This smiting God, they hate Jehovah. As people hate Him more and more, it is to no avail because God is God. And even for all this, His hand is still stretched out against Israel and against us if we are the ones who are continuing in sin and not turning back to Him consistently, repenting of our sin. As men try to turn from every thought of this God and banish the thought of Him if they could, and so they turn against the people of God, Christians, the church, Christians who remind them of this God, the Christians who, unlike Muslims, And the really radical Muslims aren't blowing up anybody. The Christians aren't blowing up anybody or slitting throats of people. Christians aren't trying to infect nations with diseases, but they make mention of the name of Jehovah, the Lord, the God of the Scriptures. And so that mentioning of the name of Jehovah, the Gospel, is far worse in the eyes of our nation, sometimes even our church, of the nation than any of these wicked and and perverse things that are done. Because they want to forget and don't want to consider and take to heart the truth that this God's judgments are in the earth. That's why so many today, contrary to sound reason, will destroy themselves to show respect to Islam. But the Christians, well, we don't want to hear anything about them and we will suppress them fully. And that's where we're going, it seems like. The only hope is in, though, the Christian's God. The only hope is in that God. For He is the living and true God. The God of Islam doesn't exist. He's false. He's made up. 
He's made up as an image of the murderous hearts of mankind. That's who He is. But this God, Jehovah, the God of the Scriptures, He's the only hope. The only hope. For He's the living and true God. Hosea chapter 6. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. Right? Go back to verse 13. For the people turneth not unto Him that smiteth them. When He smites you, turn unto Him in faith and repentance from your sins. But they didn't. The God who has caused the ground for man's sake, cursed the ground for man's sake, the God who sends sorrows upon man because of their sins against Him, and the God who who sends judgment specifically against wicked men and evil nations like our nation, this is the only God who can deliver us as individuals, who can deliver us as a nation of citizens, who can deliver from these judgments. What a great God we have in Him. Hosea 14, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord and say unto Him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously so we will render the calves of our lips. Assure, that's Assyria, Assure shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless find mercy. That's the response we ought to have. It's not what we do. It's not our plan. It's not we just need to come together and we can figure this out. We can fix things. It's not the work of our hands because we confess that how we have lived previously, those are our gods. We just have to work harder and work to make it all better. No. We need to turn to the God of Jacob, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because in Him, the fatherless orphans, the fatherless find mercy. And if you look down at verse 17, that's the opposite of what is true of these people. To say Assyria won't save us, our own work can't save us, to work on our own hands, of our, the work of our own hands are our gods, but our gods... Our false gods, works of our hands will not provide the answers. The government policy won't deliver us. Unless there is a turning to the Lord from our wickedness as a nation, unless there is a turning to the Lord from our sins as individuals, as a church, there is no mercy. The God who's brought all these judgments and troubles upon you on account of your sins upon this nation, upon this church, because of its sins and her sins, is the only God who can help and deliver you as an individual, who can save you from your sins. Because He's the God of salvation, who receives sinners to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. And in Him, we learned this morning, He does not cast out. If you come to Him and seek Him, He does not cast you out. He receives you. He saves. This is the God, this God of judgment, who's the living and true God, the God of judgment, Jehovah. It is this God and this God alone who saves. 
and says to the uttermost, those who come to Christ, instead of men raging against Him, we are to learn, all of us to learn, why, why is this life so hard? Why so full of difficulty? Why is there illness and tragedy and death and sorrows and fears? Because man has sinned against God. And this God, Jehovah, is rightly displeased with our sin because He's holy and He's righteous. And it's this God who manifests the full weight of His displeasure and the eternal fire of destruction. This judging, afflicting, cursing, condemning God is Savior and the Deliverer of His people. He tells men and women and children to seek Him. And that's why, as we read in uh, verse 13, it says again, For the people turneth not unto Him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. But it's the Lord who speaks the things that are right. And as we seek the Lord, you will find Him. You will find Him. But how must you seek Him? You must seek Him as the Scriptures teach us. You must seek Him with all your heart. With all your heart. Seek Him now as a sinner. Not as a sinner raging in anger against His judgments. But as a sinner acknowledging you deserve far worse than what you see in those judgments as they come upon the world. And you deserve them for the world to come in eternal damnation. And seeking mercy and forgiveness alone in Jesus Christ who bore the guilt of sin in the place of sinners. That's true for us as individuals, true for us as a nation. And it's this God and Jesus Christ that we must turn to and seek His face. That's verse 13. Verse 13 teaches us to turn and seek His face when we see judgments. When we see, or when we're afflicted ourselves. When we're smitten. To be trained by, Hebrews teaches us, to be trained by those things, those disciplines. And to turn to Him. Turning and seeking Jehovah. And then finally, the faithful judgments of Jehovah. The faithful judgments of Jehovah. Verse 14, Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. The ancient and honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For every one is an hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Where there is no repentance, like verse 13 says in this case with Israel, Lord willing, that is not you. Where there is no repentance, the Lord will proceed to ruin. The world thinks that Jehovah is like men. That He will change His mind. You might think if you don't repent eventually, He will eventually say, well, that's alright. But He won't, because God doesn't change. He'll proceed according to His Word and promise. He will ruin nations, including this one, that don't turn to Him and seek His face. 
He will ruin congregations that turn from Him and don't continue to seek His face. He'll snuff out their lampstand. That's why He's warning them in the first three chapters, two chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. That's why He's warning them that they would turn back and seek His face. He will ruin all those who do not repent and believe on Him. And there's nothing in the Word of God that says this nation will not be ruined utterly. He will bring ruin upon you as well, sadly, if you don't turn and seek the face of Jehovah and the face of Christ for salvation. He'll do it. He was going to bring ruin upon Israel. Verse 14, the head and the tail. Verse 15, the head, the leaders. The tail, that is, the which is led by the head. Right, the false prophets who prophesied lies because it pleased the head. And so they spoke those lies, not the Word of God. They spoke that which was wanted to be heard. And they, like the tale, followed. And they would both come to ruin. That's what often politicians do. Many in the church the same. That they, that's what they do instead of proclaiming the whole counsel of God faithfully. It's all about what will keep the people happy. And they follow like a tale. The preachers won't tell sinners of their wickedness. They won't confront the church with their idols. They won't. Because they aren't turning and seeking Jehovah themselves. The Lord is going to judge the head and the tail. And all the wicked who do not seek Him. The branch and the rush shall cut off the whole house of Israel. But especially the leaders. Verse 16. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Those who follow are not excused in the judgment because they're following. They're still following unto what? Sin and wickedness, idolatry. But the leaders especially would be judged for their wickedness and leading them unto sin. And false perversions and all these things. But if you're following the wrong leader unto sin, you're still sinners. Right? And you're still judged. Verse 17, Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men. The young men are not the leaders. But they would not be strengthened in battle. They would be let free. The same with the children. It says, Neither shall have mercy on their fatherless, the orphans, and the widows. Those who throughout the Scriptures are often the objects of the Lord's pity and mercy, they too would not be spared because they followed wicked leaders in their sin and evil. They were sinners who turned not to Jehovah. But again, the leaders would especially be brought to ruin. James 3, My brethren, be not many masters, as teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. The nice, the nice lie is received well. The nice lie is highly regarded. But because it's nice, it's nice to the people, who cares about the honor of Jehovah? Because man is put in the place of God. When man is God, we just need niceness. At least in our circles. But that is false. That's not the way God views it. The bare false witness of God is a great wickedness. 
Even if it's nice, it's great wickedness. And so the Lord would judge all the peoples, the leaders, the prophets, the young, the fatherless, and the widows. For everyone is an hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. But he was not done. And wouldn't be done until Israel was ruined. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. My friends, today you must consider that there is no hope for those who hate God as He really is. The God here of judgment. There are many who don't love God because He's the God of love, which is weird. Many who don't love God because He's the God who is holy. They don't love God because He's the God of truth. And all truth is found in Him. There are certainly many, even in the church, who don't love God because He's the God of judgment. He's the God of judgment. If you don't love the God of judgment, you don't love God. He has said to the work of your hands and your mind, Ye are my gods. I don't want Jehovah. I want a God that fits with my niceness. With my ideas, right? If you love an imaginary God, you're still at enmity with the living and true God. There's no hope unless you are brought to turn away from those sins that we just talked about, those sins, all those vain ideas, and turning to the living and true God. Now you would seek mercy through the appointed mediator, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore the judgment of God in the place of sinners. To say that God is not a God of judgment... Or to say that you don't love the God of judgment is to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Christ died. All that condemnation and judgment that you deserve, if you've believed on Him and turned from your sins, He died that on that, of that judgment on the cross. All the wrath of God poured out upon Him. That you would be saved. To say that God is not a God of judgment is to mock the Gospel. It's to deny the Gospel. To deny judgment placed upon Christ at the cross. If God is not a God of judgment, then there's no need of Christ to suffer and die in the place of sinners. But He did die in the place of sinners. That's why so much of the church mocks the Gospel and have become blasphemers. Because they just can't handle that God is a God of judgment. But He is. And He's a loving God of judgment. And a merciful God of judgment. Who receives all who come to Him by faith and repentance. Those people who hate the God of judgment, they hate the very idea of propitiation. That Christ bore the wrath of God on the cross in the place of sinners. That's our substitutionary atonement. They have not the love of God in them. only hope that we have, the only hope that any of us have, is in the promises of God, all of them. And here are the promises of God of judgment. His promises of mercy found here. Verse 13, they're right there. The Gospel's right there. The promises of His mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
and the cleanses of all unrighteousness. So we say we have no sin. We've not sinned. We make Him a liar. And His Word is not in us. But He's faithful to His promises. He is the just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. If you have an imaginary view of God, then turn from that vanity in your heart and your mind and seek the Lord of hosts while He may be found. The living and true God through Jesus Christ. Turn and seek Him today. Don't wait. Israel waited and waited and waited and eventually it was too late. It came to They came to all in complete ruin. Don't wait. Turn and seek Christ today. And His promise is if you turn and seek after Him, you shall be saved from His judgments. His judgments that bring utter ruin. And you'll be saved in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks because You are the God of judgment. You've given Your Son for us on the cross. He was judged for us that we might have life and blessing. He received the curses so we could be blessed, so we could... Uh, he drank of the cup of judgment, the curses, so that we could drink of the cup of blessing. And Father, we exalt in You, the God of all love and goodness and holiness and justice and truth and judgment and all these things of which You are all one, the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're thankful for the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ that we have here verse 13 that point us to Christ and our need of Him. That even the orphan and the widow, You show mercy to in giving Your Word to go forth. And You call us all, the fatherless and the widow, the young men, the old men, young women, young, old women, to believe, to turn from our sins to You. And so, in doing, You would receive us. And You'd protect us in Christ Your Son. And so, Father, we ask that You would receive us for Christ's sake and cause us to love You, the God of judgment, to hope in You, the God of judgment, to hope in all those blessed promises that will come, even though we might and will die in our body, You will raise us up from the dead. And when we come to that judgment seat and have to give an account, Father, receive us for Christ's sake. And may it be upon our lips, if we have opportunity to speak, that we would proclaim the mercy and grace found in the righteousness of Christ alone both in His life and in His death. Receive us for His sake, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.